Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Toro, and joining me every single week is the one and only Robert Selba. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing much better than I was last week, taking it one day at a time, and I can't wait to get into this week's uh, show because I want to rip the goddamn so-called boxing media and experts after I saw what was an incredible performance by Jeremiah Nakatila. I want to rip them for the way they treated this man coming into this fight and the way they treated Shakur Stevenson after he totally dominated Nakatila in their fight a year ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, then let's open with that. Jeremiah Nakatila just obliterated Miguel Burchelt on Saturday in their top rank on ESPN Minute Vantage. Just dominated him in, in some regards, probably even more impressively than Oscar Valdez did in their fight a, a year ago. Nakatila dropped Burchelt a couple of times, stops him after six rounds. He was the aggressor throughout the fight, outworked, outboxed Miguel Burchelt. It was just a one Decided beaten, and this was uh, quite the shocker for a lot of people. I, myself included, I thought that Burchell was at the very least going to at least look decent in his return fight since that loss to Oscar Valdez. But there's a lot of ways to sort of look back on this. But Robert, I'm, I'm I'll save my thoughts until after, and I will. The the floor is yours for what you want to say because you've been holding this on for a few days now. First and foremost, Miguel Bachelt needs to retire. No one should ever sanction another fight for this guy. He should never be allowed in the ring ever again. He's done. Stick a fork in him. He continues to fight. He's going to be like a Yorkies Gamboa, just a uh, one-man punching bag. He's done. Stick a fork in him, please. Whoever's his advisor, his father, his manager, sit him down and tell him to do something else because boxing – He's just going to get hurt. He's done. He looked like a zombie in the ring Saturday night. Uh, kudos to Jeremiah Nakatila. Um, he fought. He reminded me, Carlos, of Nicholas Walters in his prime before Walters got battered into retirement almost six years ago by Vasily Lomachenko. The way he was fighting behind that jab and landing that booming right hand, it was a one-sided beating of uh, I'm not even going to call this a contender for upset of the year because Burchell is shot. Despite what the media was saying, oh, this is a fight that's going to make Burchell look good. Nakatila's the perfect uh, opponent for him to to get a win on his on his win column as he move up to lightweight. ESPN, Timothy Bradley, uh, 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 Mark Kriegel, and oh, Joe Testator talking about, oh, he's one of the best. He throws more punches and lands more punches than anybody in boxing. Oh, the great offensive of weaponry of Miguel Bachel. He's done. And for all you so-called boxing experts, members of the media, who completely ripped Shakur Stevenson last year because he did not engage with this guy who has a booming right hand, uh, if you look at the stats, Carlos, Nakatila landed 28 punches in 12 rounds against the best defensive fighter in the world in Shakur Stevenson. Uh, people criticize Shakur. What you want him to do? Stand in front of him 
and uh, uh, give Nakatila a shot to beat him? Are you kidding me? Hell no. You saw what happened when Devin Haney tried that against both Diaz and Linares and almost got knocked out in both fights, all right? No. Shakur Stevenson is a master technician, and they give him the same criticism that they gave Pernell Whitaker coming up and they gave Floyd Mayweather coming up. No. When you're a master stylist, when you're a defensive genius, a defensive wizard, and an incredible counterpuncher, you stick to what you know. You do not give your opponents an opportunity to catch you with a shot. And that's what Shakur Stevenson did. And yet the media criticized him unfairly. And that's all I got to say. And can I play devil's advocate for just a quick second here? Because sure. I think part of the criticism just made, was mainly not so much as Shakur, but of course Shakur does get, you know, the is getting a lot of the blame from that fight. Uh, but the fight itself was not great. It was not good at all. And I think, and I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, Robert. I think at the time last year when this fight happened, I think I said that the, that Shakur was had maybe the the essential had the perfect game plan against Nakatila. The problem was it just wasn't exciting at all, and that's what's going to turn off a lot of a lot of people because they keep pointing yeah, him as the next. You know what? Ex- if it, if he tries to fight an exciting fight, Carlos, and he gets caught, he gets criticized either way. You're right. Either way, he was getting the same criticism was being given to Floyd Mayweather before he fought Diego Corrales, and. We could the huge similarities because what happened when when um uh, Floyd fought Diego, what um, an incredible virtuoso performance. This fight before Corrales, he was getting criticized. Shakur Stevenson criticized up to the point where he fought Jamel Herring, put on a virtuoso performance, and. Herring may never be the same again, just like Diego was never the same after that beating he took over at the hands of Floyd. You fight a fighter that like Nakatila, who's taller than you, who hits harder than you, you don't give him an opportunity to land a shot. That's what Shakur was supposed to do. Exciting. How do you fight exciting against a guy who, if you step inside, he could catch you? No, you got to give him angles, make him miss. And that's what Shakur did. I don't want. I don't want exciting. I want you to keep winning, and then when you have to step it up against a guy who's been beaten down like a Jamel Herring, you turn it on. Now Katila is too dangerous a fighter for you to put, for you to even think of doing what De- Devin Haney did against Jorge Linares and Diaz. Yeah, and and you know here's the thing, and, and I've said this in the past. Exciting, uh, exciting doesn't equal good boxing and vice versa and sometimes there's a lot of there've been a lot of great fighters throughout the years whose style has been deemed by the media and by fans as boring but it doesn't make them a bad fighter far far from it i mean look floyd i know a lot of people likes to point to the second half of floyd's career and you know he he didn't get knocked down wasn't in a lot of exciting fights but the fact of the matter is floyd was about as masterful a boxer as you'll mm-hmm. have you seen in the last However many decades you want to go back. In the history of boxing. Period. And sometimes it doesn't produce great fights. Floyd was as masterful 
as any fighter who's ever fought in the history of boxing. And in the last 10 years, let's just give the last 10 years of his career, he only was really in two difficult fights the last 10 years of his career. That was uh, Madonna and Cotto. Other than that, he, he was throwing up zeros up across the board. And even then, like going back to the Cotto fight, I, you know, Cotto made the fight difficult. And I say that yes. in in comparison to all the other fights. But even then, right. Floyd still won kind of handedly that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had him winning eight rounds, but still Cotto busted up his lip. Nobody had done it, that to Floyd before. It was a tough eight and, rounds. You're right. Yeah, it was. It, I mean, Cotto never stopped coming. Cotto gave Floyd hell. Same thing with Madonna. I mean, Floyd won the fight, but Madonna came at him like a locomotive. Yeah, and and going back to Shakur, first, the Nakatila win over Burchell, how he looked, that win over Nakatila a year ago, boy, did that improve Shakur's resume mm-hmm. tremendously. Yep. And it does kind of give give a lot of people sort of, a bit of a bit of t- something to think about is, you know, Nakatila is not as bad as he sort of looked in that Shakur Stevenson fight. Shakur was just that good, and sometimes mm-hmm. at the moment, and we, and Shakur is not the only one. You know, plenty of athletes in the past who make things look so easy and look so good just kind of take uh, get taken for granted at times. And I think now yep. it's sort of that what we're seeing with Shakur in, in relation to that fight a year ago. Yep, a g- great, great, great analysis. Because I also, if you remember when Floyd fought Baldemir, mm-hmm. he was given the same criticism. Baldemir is a brawling, thudding fighter with no foot speed whatsoever. Floyd fought the perfect fight. You would, you, you would. The way the media was talking, they were expecting Floyd to stay to, stand toe to toe. You don't give your opponent a chance to catch you if you're a master defensive fighter. And like you said, Carlos, that Nakatila win Saturday night makes Shakur win against him a year ago. <laughs> a year ago, look even greater. And man, and um, I think Valdez's win over Bichelt was just as impressive as Nakatila's because. Burchelt set set Burchelt up to be finished off by by Nakatila. What do you think about what I said about Burchelt should never be allowed in the ring again? Because he's damaged goods, in my I, opinion. You know, I don't think you know right now, uh, unless something drastic uh, dra- happens that would turn around Miguel Burchelt's career. I think he's done as you know a world yes. champion type of fighter. You can tell, even fourteen months later that Burchelt is still feeling that loss to Valdez. He is still suffering the after effects from that. Even going up mm-hmm. a weight, even, you know, with all the time in the world to rest up, he's still feeling it. And now, I don't think, you know, he's still yet to recover from that Valdez loss. Now he needs to recover from the Nakatila loss. So it's not just the back of the line. It's, you're not even inside the building. So you need yeah. to, so. He Valdez, needs to step. Yeah, he, 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 you're right. Step, sort of take a look back at his career. And look, he's already accomplished a lot. He was a really damn good champion at Super Featherweight, one of the more exciting yes. fighters mm-hmm. in that weight class. Right now, he just sort of needs to take a step back and really need to assess whether or not he really does want to sort of keep going. He, I know he said that, you know, he'll take time and sort of recover to be back better than ever. But, you know, wasn't that what he said the last time 
around? Exactly. That's exactly what he said the last time. So how do you sort of bounce back from what was supposed to be your bounce back fight? And um, right now, I think the only <clears throat> the only option he has is retirement. If he continues to fight, he could suffer um, uh, incredible punishment and incredible damage to an or to a. Uh, uh, a brain that even before he fought Valdez Carlos, because you've seen his entire career, mm-hmm. had suffered a lot of punishment. Be- remember the two fights with Vargas? It's, I mean, he's taken a lot of punishment in his career, despite the fact that he had he was a dominant champion before Valdez shut that shut him down. And before we move on to our next segment. Do want to remind you folks that the Fight Game Media Network is going all in on WrestleMania Week content on the Fight Game Media Network, on the Patreon side of things, even on our YouTube channel at Fight Game Media. We got plenty of great content already out on our multiple networks and channels and YouTube and platforms. You know, mainly we got a great Q&A between Gary Gonzalez and Dave Meltzer, and we got plenty of shows covering not just WrestleMania, but also plenty of the major wrestling shows going on this week. RH Super Card of Honor, Impact Wrestling Multiverse of Matches, a lot of stuff. Recapping WrestleMania Night 1, WrestleMania Night 2, both, uh, you know, a Fightin' Media Network on YouTube and on the Patreon side of things and even on Twitter Spaces going on this week. Go to the Fight Game Media Twitter at Fight Game Media for a full schedule of the different content and the different things we got going on this week for WrestleMania. So now going to move it on to, because we got a lot of boxing to sort of still cover. So before the top rank and the Showtime cards, which we'll get into the Showtime in just a second, but the, the zone card of that week, uh, of this past Saturday, had a couple of interesting fights, but none more so than the main event, Kiko Martinez versus Josh Warrington, the rematch for the IBF featherweight title, and Josh Warrington may have had the most exciting and most impressive performance of his career. He completely mm-hmm. obliterated, much in the same way Nakatila did to Burchelt, mm-hmm. where Josh Warrington did pretty much that to Kiko Martinez. Warrington dropped Martinez in the first round, had him, you know, had him hurt, almost on the verge of uh, of stopping him for one for Martinez, sort of, you know, smartly. Just uh, stall for time and, let, and getting time to recover at the end of the first round. But Martinez just constantly br- hit him with a barrage of, uh, of of shots. And Martinez's only saving grace, th- which is his right hand, he was throwing it so much to the point that it became predictable. Even Warrington sort of negated that with some smart boxing. And Warrington eventually gets the stoppage. Becomes the two-time IBF featherweight champion. Reinvigorates his career, which really, for the past 15 months or so, has been utterly dreadful from dropping his IBF title, which now, in hindsight, was a really dumb thing to do, to Mm -hmm. losing to Mauricio Lara, then the rematch ending in no contest, essentially, because of the cut. So now being back to world champion, quite a quite a bit of a roller coaster past year and a half for Josh Warrington. He did what he was supposed to do. Now he's got to fight Lara. There's no excuses. He's got to fight him a third time to prove to us, Carlos, that he's back to the fighter he was 
pre the first Lara fight. He's got to fight Lara. He's got to beat Lara. There's no excuses. He was supposed to beat Kiko Martinez. He hasn't beaten Mauricio Lara yet. Yeah, and look, I as, as much as I as much as I would love to see Warrington versus Lara, and by the way, that second fight, I think that that was technically considered a technical draw, at least on the yeah, record. It was. It was. Yes. It wasn't a no contest, right? It yeah, it no was. A, it was a technical yeah. draw, technically speaking. Okay, technical um, okay. But yeah. As much as we'd love to see that third fight between the two of them, the fact that after the fight, neither Josh nor Eddie or, or whoever, they no one mentioned Lara's name after the that's, fight. That's a disgrace because isn't Lara a disowned fighter? Yes. But I'm thinking they have other plans, whether oh, it boy. could be. Uh, they're, they're, uh, so their plans are to duck Lara and not give him a third fight, even though he deserved that title shot before Warrington did. If we're reading sort of if I'm reading between the lines, that's kind of that's yeah. the impression I'm getting. And if they and if they really actually are interested in making that third Lara fight, they did not give off the, uh, that uh, that that feeling shame. after the fight. They did not. uh Give me a sense of a third fight happening. Because to be honest with you, Carlos, that's the only fight that should be made for Warrington and Lara right now. These guys shouldn't be fighting anybody else. There's unfinished business there. They should be fighting next. First of all, how Lara doesn't get a title shot after just destroying uh, 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 Warrington in their first fight. You had the technical draw in the second fight, and then uh, Lara coming off that incredible victory about a month ago in that great war. Nah, um, it, it doesn't make sense, Carlos. I'm, I'm upset that there's that, that, that there's no talk about a third fight because that should have been warm. That should have been the same first thing Josh said when he was being interviewed after defeating Martinez is, yeah, I've got unfinished business with Mauricio Lara. Let's bring him on. And you would think that maybe the best case scenario is if you don't get that third fight against Lara, is that maybe you could put uh, Josh Warrington up against Lee Wood, which would be another really good fight. But even then, I can't say for certain that's the plan going next. So, yeah, you're sort of left wondering what exactly is next uh, for Josh Warrington. You know what's next for Josh Warrington? Uh, he, he, people are probably uh, looking at medical reports see, uh, to see if Michael Conley could fight next. That's true. And here's the thing, and we <laughs> and we don't know how long we don't know how long Josh Warrington is going to be out because he suffered a broken jaw. Yes, uh, in that right. fight. That's and have right. you seen picture? Have, have you seen the pictures of? It, it his reminded jaw? me. It reminded me of when Oscar Valdez got his jaw broken against Scott Quigg. Yes, yes, that actually does. Yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. That, yep. um, I mean, it, by the way, for folks who haven't seen it, man, he, the right side of his jaw is so mm-hmm. swollen. It's not even funny. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Now we also got to see. You know, Warrington has taken a lot of damage his last three fights. It's, it hasn't been easy. It's not. So, uh, uh, he's got to strike now because he's taken a lot of punishment the last two years. You're right, and. I can honestly see Warrington technically go fulfill it. I, I'm not sure if this is if he's considered his manager. I know he's the number one guy in the IBF rankings, but Luis Alberto Lopez, he he won a title eliminator uh, for Warrington's belt not too long ago, a couple of months ago. So I could possibly see that being something that 
key, uh, that Josh and Eddie Hearn sort of explore and maybe get a you know a mandatory title defense out of the way already if they don't feel compelled to make that third fight against Josh Warrington uh, against uh, Murray Solara and if the fight against Lee Wood does not happen I could see them go that direction other than that um not a whole ton of exciting names in the uh, going by the IBF rankings uh so I it's there's some good fights out there for Josh Warrington I'm just not convinced that they're going to actively look uh, at them right this second which would I'm be with you Carlos it, it should be either Lee Wood or Mauricio Lara in his next fight that there shouldn't be anybody else at 126 pounds that um he looks at so we'll see yeah and also and i do want to give uh kudos uh to ebony bridges who uh gave a very spirited and very good performance in the co-main event and beat mauricia cecilia roman by unanimous decision wins her first world title gets the ibf bantamweight title uh, 191, 97, 93, 97, 93. Uh, I don't know what Don was looking at. 191, she, but she's no longer a gimmick. Um, she's become a real fighter. Remember yeah. when she first started? She was a gimmick. She was uh being pushed as this model, as a you know first uh, a model before a boxer. Now the model can fight. Yeah, and and if the fight against Shannon Courtney and this fight against Mar- Maria Cecilia Roman hasn't sh- hasn't already taught us, Ebony is tough. Ebony is she's a tough is bro. Not she a- is a, she's a tough mother effer. She is tough. Yes. Yeah. I mean, look, her boxing is not perfect, but one thing that always keeps her in fights is her toughness and her willingness to engage, and that alone does beat a lot of fighters because a lot of fighters aren't you know adequately prepared to go 10 hard rounds against someone like Ebony Bridges and someone like her is capable of breaking down opponents throughout the course of a fight and you know Ebony she kind of uh, took over a little bit late and Roman tried to sort of keep up but because of the she you know she was so pressured by Bridges throughout the fight that it made it almost impossible for her to sort of keep up at the very end. So that's something that Ebony will always sort of have over a lot of different fighters. And, you know, 118-pound division, there's some decent fighters. Shannon Courtney is out there. If she can win back, a, you know, a, another world title, that'd be great. Jamie Mitchell uh, looked great in her last fight against Carly Skelly. Dinah Thorslin is, you know, obviously the top, of that division at 118, she's got a title defense on April 9. So there's some good fights out there. Uh, I don't know what the direction is for Ebony Bridges. I know she wants a rematch against Shannon Courtney, but wants it as a unification fight, if possible. Shannon can get back uh, to becoming a world champion again. So uh, some good stuff out there. This the zone show I thought was good. It was decent, not great, but it was pretty decent. Yeah, it was. It, it was a decent show. Now, Showtime, uh, a pretty darn interesting show in uh, at the Armory in Minneapolis. Tim Su versus Terrell Gauchet in the main event, 154-pound division. Tim Su essentially guarantees himself a world title shot if he beats Terrell Gauchet. And from the get-go... Gauchet made it known that he was not there to be the opponent. Gauchet landed a beautiful right hand that dropped him Sue in the first mm-hmm. round. Kind of gave us a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of pause and try and sort of assessing the fight now. But 
Tim got back up. He essentially outboxed Gauche throughout the rest of the fight. You can make an argument after that first round. Tim Stu kind of won nearly every round, if not all of it. Ends up with a unanimous decision victory much closer than I had it. 114-113, 116-111, 115-112. This was, uh, the fight really taught us a lot about Tim Sue. Even for those who have all, have spent years watching him, this was, uh, I will say, this was not Tim Sue's best performance. His head movement was lacking. His defense mm-hmm. was, uh, a little off. He looked stiff. He wasn't, you know, moving, at, you know, he wasn't flowing around the ring as effortlessly as he used to. And I don't know if it was the, you know, I don't know if it was the the first round knockdown that maybe gave him a lot more to think about. Maybe his body needed a few rounds to sort of recover. I don't know if it's maybe the pressure of it being his U.S. debut and sort of following, you know, his father's footsteps and fighting on Showtime. I don't know, but Tim Su just didn't look like the Tim Su that we saw over in Australia. And kudos to Charles Gauchet because he was there to fight. He gave Tim Su quite a lot of trouble. Gauchet's right hand was, you know, he was landing that right hand throughout the mm-hmm. fight. And yep. that's essentially the only reason why Gauchet was still, you know, was still in the fight. I just still don't get 114-113. That makes yeah, I don't, absolutely I don't, he no did sense. Not win, he did not win five rounds in his fight, but he did give Su hell. Uh, Zoo, you see that he's susceptible to the right cross. Uh, and um, Terrell is at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the PBC contenders. Um, Zoo's going to have some problems. Um, whoever he fights, Castaño or, or Charlo, he's going to be the deciding underdog in, in both fights if he fights either one. Um, he has a chance of beating Castaño. I don't see him beating Charlo. Um, then again, Charlo might step, might just vacate if he beats Constantino in a rematch, and Zoo would wind up fighting for what the WBO vacant title. Yes, um, uh, Zoo still's got a lot to prove, and if he's going to fight the PBC fighters, why not put him in the ring with a J Rock? Or no, he doesn't have to fight J Rock. His next fight's for a title, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, and- I would love to see him eventually fight a J Rock. Or or Tony Harrison, I think those would be great tests for Zoo, um, and both those guys ca- carry great power. But it looks like he will be getting the right the winner of Castanio Charlo. So we'll see from there. I don't think he beats either guy in the way he looks at it. But then again, Carlos, it could have been a combination of nerves and fighting the best fighter he's ever fought in his career. Mm-hmm. Could be a combination of both. Yeah, and and I, to me, I think that you know, I think that if Tim Su fights either Charlo Castagna, I think he'll fight better than what we saw on Saturday night. Yes. But here's the thing: if that Tim, if the Tim Su that we saw against Gauche fights Castagno or Charlo, especially Charlo, Tim Su's not winning that one because, I mean, nope. think about it: if Gauche had just a little bit more power in that right hand. Tim Su would have been dropped multiple times in this fight. Yep, yep, yep. Would have been a lot closer. Tim Su would have been in danger a, a lot more often. And look, and Tim Su doesn't have the greatest chin in the world. He he. This is not the first time he's been dropped. He's been dropped in the past. 
And Charlo has much more significant power in that right hand, his best weapon, than Terrell. And 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 Castaño may not have the same level of power as Charlo, but he's a far more aggressive and yep. and, and creates a lot more pressure uh, than Gaucher and Charlo. Hey, so that's another element that Castaño them to fight, think about. A Zou Castaño fight would be a fight of the year type contender because neither guy takes a back step. Absolutely not, but overall, you know, if the silver lining into all of this is that now we know that Tim, now we know what Tim Sue needs to sort of work on. And mm-hmm. look, and you know what? Kudos to Sue. After the fight, he gave Gaucher a lot of props and he, even he admitted he needs to work on everything. And, you know, there he does need to improve. He can improve a little bit on just about every aspect of his game because he's going to need his, to do that. His off- his offense is set. I mean, he's a tremendous body puncher. He go, he everything goes behind that jab. He's got power in both hands. He's got what you said earlier in the podcast. The head movement and the defense has to be worked on now before he faces a Castaño or a Charlo. And, and even then, the, 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 his yeah. footwork when moving it when moving forward, it it felt to me. Like it was just a little bit stilted. Like it was like he would like yeah, his he, legs, he looks, legs were just a little bit heavy when he was trying to pressure Gaucher. Just a little bit. He looked very. He I agree with you, Carlos. He looked very stiff Saturday night. Yeah. So you know, Glove could even just be that you know, Tim just needed to loosen up a little bit. Just needed to, needs to relax because if he enters a fight that stiff, then of course he's going to you know. Things are going to be a little bit sluggish and things are going to, you know, be a little more robotic and not as fluid as we're accustomed to seeing. You know, we've seen him fly, you know, fly over the ring against other opponents. But then again, none of those guys are as good uh, or as good as Terrell Gaucher. Nope. Nope. He fought his best opponent. Um, He passed the test of getting up off the canvas and beating a tough, very good fighter. Now the main, the biggest test will come when he fights for a world title. His next fight, we shall see. Either way, it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting. And um, do you think if Zoo fights Charlo, that's definitely a pay per view fight, right? Um, boy, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I don't here's because the thing. Had, they had if you do that fight this fight. year, if you do that fight this year, uh-huh. you might be running into the pay-per-view well a little bit too much cuz you're now on that would make it and I'm assuming there's going to be a Jake Paul pay-per-view this year. So by the time hey, you get to Charles, you got to be yeah, four this that's year. That's no competition. That's no competition. Jake Paul's last pay-per-view did less than 70,000 buys. It's a wrap for him. That clown, that circus has sailed. All right, don't even think about Jake, a Jake Paul. But I know why you brought it up because Showtime is the Jake Paul Circus Act uh, pay per view provider. Why would that take precedence over real fighters when his last fight tanked? Yeah. Well, again, well, again, we don't. Uh, but again, we also have to think about. What's going to happen? Who wins the the Charles Castagna rematch? And what's the winner going to do with that WBO title? Because here's here's the thing. It's not just Sue that the winner has to worry about. They have to worry about Bakram Murtasaliev, who's the IBF mandatory. They have to worry about the winner of Sebastian Fundora versus Erickson Lubin, who'd be the mandatory for the WBC title. The only one that does the sanctioned body they don't have to worry about is the WBA. And that's because they... 
uh, rightfully so, ordered a rematch between Michel Soro and Israel Majumov, given how that yep. fight ended last year. Yep. Oh, well, quick, quick question, right? Uh, Zoo is the WBO mandatory now. Yes. Can't an agreement be, whoever wins against uh, Castaño and Charlo, can an agreement be made with the other sanctioned bodies that look, I will take your guy next after I take on Zoo? With the WBC, maybe, because I don't think they've ever put on a hard deadline for, right. okay, winner has to fight their mandatory within X amount of days. The IBF mm-hmm. might be a little tougher because they've already ordered in the past Mortasalia versus Charlo. They've already ordered that in the past. And obviously, you know, Mortasalia's team, you know, allowed... Uh, Charlo to sort of not have to fight him immediately, but I don't know if they're going to, if Mortasaliev's team is going to sort of push on getting the uh, getting that mandatory title shot, and as we've seen in the past, if they push for it, and the IBF orders it, and the winner doesn't comply with it, IBF has no problem stripping that champion uh, of their belt, and honestly, by, this po- by that point, whoever wins between Charlo and Castaño I don't think that they will care too much if they hold all four of the titles. The fact that they won all four of them and leave the ring with them, even if it was for a night, I think that's enough to satisfy them. I think everyone would recognize, even if they technically would have to vacate a title and their status as undisputed technically would be uh, over, everyone would know that, you know, that's the guy. That's the number one guy in the division. One last question about this fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the upcoming Charlo Castanio fight. Do you think Charlo moves up to middleweight if he beats Castanio and just gives up all the titles? Hmm. That's a... And if that if that happens, do you think Terence Crawford moves up to 154 to face Zoo for the WBO vacant title? That'd be a hell of a fight. That's that's the it it depends. Okay, so for. Let's see. Okay, so the first part of your question. So, if yeah. Charlo were to move up to middleweight, do you think he moves up if he beats Castaño? That's the first question. I think he will eventually. I don't think immediately. Because he's been at 154 for over a decade. Since, man, 15 years. Since he turned pro, he's been at 154. He's never moved up. Yeah, and he doesn't necessarily need have anything else to prove. If he beats if he beats Castaño, that's it. He's beating everybody at one fifty four. Yeah. It, what else? What else is there to uh, prove? What else is there to accomplish? Yeah. Unless he gets a fight against a Terence Crawford or Errol Spence, that'd be the only reason I'd stay at one fifty four. Yeah, and even then, I'm I'm not sure if you go to one sixty. The problem is PBC doesn't have a lot of names out there at 160 i'm not i don't expect jermel and jermal to fight each other i don't well you got you got arislandy lara that'd be the only Uh, fight that i can think of uh, that's of any Uh, consequence uh, that 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 would be the only fight of consequence because oh he's fought at 154 his entire career it is time for him to move up yeah unless he gets errol spence or terrence crawford which which would be the biggest paydays of his career, either either fighter. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I can see that happening. I can generally see. Because think happening. about this. Yeah, he'll get he'll get a nice payday against Zoo, but it won't be as much as if if he fought Crawford or, or Spence. No. Uh, 
and, and a payday against Fedora would be minimal. No one's paying pay-per-view money to see him fight Fedora. Um, unless it's Crawford Spencer Zoo, why bother at 154 if he beats Castagno? Now, if Castagno wins Carlos, Castagno's staying in 154, and, and that's, an, that's another story. Now, do you think, Charlo, if, let's play, let's just, for shits and giggles, say Charlo wins, moves up. Do you think Crawford moves up to 154 to face Zoo for the vacant title at WBO? It's very possible. It, it, you know, it's very possible. Uh, you know, if Crawford, if Crawford, you know, wants to go the PBC route, but he's not interested at, you know, sort of the immediate offerings at 147, if it doesn't mean a narrow Spence fight. Right. I can see that right. happening. Right. I can see that happening. It'd be a very intriguing fight too, and it'll be a, a much bigger guy he'd have to beat, and 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 probably the hardest puncher he's ever faced in his career. No, not probably, definitely the hardest puncher he's ever faced in his career. Uh, that would be a very intriguing fight, and we already know that the WBO gives the uh, champions from a division below an automatic right one or two spot to fight for a vacant title if they well. It- and that that would be a cir- uh, d- different circumstance if they're a super champion. If they're deemed super champion, they can exercise that right. And not every WBO champion can exercise that right. Not every, can, but he he couldn't. He if if but he's done that. But Crawford's and, done that. Crawford was given that decision. Yeah, he's done it twice. He's done it twice. At one thirty five, when he up to one forty, and one forty went up to one forty seven. He's done it twice. Yeah, so I can see that happening. I can I can see him trying to do that uh, again. Uh. The co-main event and uh, and opening bouts of the Showtime card, you know, let's start with the co-main event. Michelle Rivera, uh, dominant win over Joseph Adorno, 97-93, uh, uh, 97-93, yeah, uh, across the board. Michelle Rivera looked pretty good, as usual, continues to establish himself as one of the top up-and-coming lightweight uh, contenders right now. Uh, looked pretty good against Joseph Adorno. Uh, a guy who had a lot to prove after consecutive draws to Hector Garcia Montes and Jermaine uh, Ortiz and Michelle Rivera. I still believe he's, you know, he's could be very much in the running for a potential fight against Javante Davis maybe next year. I still believe that's possible. Showtime, uh, well, PBC in general might has have, been building him up tremendously. It might be this year because um, Davis is going to need a, an opponent after he puts Romero in the Raleigh Romero in the hospital. But <laughs> um, Rivera cannot fight Davis the way he fought a donor. Um, Rivera has to box and use his jab from the outside. He was walking down on Donald throughout this entire fight. You're not walking down Javante Davis. So what, what, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I think your mic is kind of disconnected. What What was the last thing I said? Uh, he's basically saying that uh, uh, Michelle cannot fight Gervonta the way he did against Joseph Adorno. Yeah, that was the last thing I said. So what What do you What do you think about that? Um, you know, I agree. I agree. And here's the thing: I don't. There's no opponent out there for Michelle Rivera, or really for anybody that can properly prepare you for a guy like Gervonta Davis and. No, there's none. You're right. There's so, none. you know, part of it has to be a, a leap of faith in thinking that Michelle Rivera is good enough to be able to handle a guy like Javante Davis. Um, you know, Joseph Adorno is not that guy to sort of find that out. 
And there's not a lot of guys for Michelle to sort of figure out how good he truly is without having to fight a Gervonta Davis. I mean, you look at, you know, the 135-pound division. I mean, I can see, you know what actually, you know what actually be a good fight in my opinion is if maybe uh, you can put uh, Michelle Rivera against either Isaac Cruz or uh, just real Corrales. Let me tell you something. Cruz would be the perfect fighter for Rivera to fight, and if he wins, to then fight Davis. Because Cruz, very aggressive, and it will not be an easy fight for Rivera. Rivera would have to earn that victory and might have to get out of trouble one or two times in order to win against the rugged. And Isaac Cruz probably, I don't know if you agree with this, Carlos, Probably has the best chin at 135 because Davis hit him with some bombs and he kept coming. Right, right. Uh, you know, Cruz is uh, Cruz is not just a pit bull pie name. I, I can tell you that he's, much. He's, he's a real life pit bull. And he gave, you know, he, uh, Cruz did, a, Cruz did pretty well on relative short notice. Pretty, uh, you know, he did decently. In my, in and, my opinion, that was Javante's toughest fight of his career. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. And mm. you know, Isaac got the. Uh, he's got a fight coming up. He's got the uh, the the fight against uh, Yuri Arcas Gamboa uh, in, in a couple well, of weeks. Uh, uh, this guy has no business being in the ring. Why are they continuing the same? He's a walking zombie. How does he pass any CTR test? I don't understand CTE test. I don't understand it. This man should not be fighting. He Isaac is going to murder him. Period. <laughs> when's, the last time Gamboa, when's the last time Gamboa won a round? Never mind a fight. Last time Yuri Orkes Gamboa won a fight uh, was, if I remember correctly, 2019 against Rocky Martinez. Yeah. Uh, yeah, against a way Rocky, past his prime, Rocky Martinez, who's not yeah. even who now ended up being his last fight. Now it's being at the very least yeah. being a, a trainer of sorts with uh, Wilfredo Mendez over there in Puerto Rico. In his last couple of fights, has he won a round? Uh, he didn't win. I don't think he won a round against Gervonta Davis. He nope. certainly did not win a round against Devin Haney. He has no business in the ring. He's a walking punching bag, but. This is a I, I hate I hate the fact that this guy is allowed to fight. It it doesn't make any sense to me. How do they sanction this guy? I, I, how does his people allow him to get in the ring? The people that care for him, his family, his management. Your your guess is uh, as good as mine. To be it honest, it just doesn't make any. No, I hate I hate to see fighters who were great at one time, um, just take unnecessary punishment. Because whatever punishment he takes, Carlos, is not worth whatever they're paying him. It's not. Right. And, you know, and, and back to the Showtime card, the opening fight uh, of this card. Elvis Rodriguez versus Juan Jose Velasco. Rodriguez gets a seventh-round knockout. Looked pretty darn good and looks like he's yeah, man, fighting he, with a he's, fire he's, under his belly since he got released by top rank. He is hungry. He got um, – after he, he lost – his undefeated streak and top rank got got rid of him. He is on a mission. I give him. I give Elvis all the credit in the world. Keep it up, King. 
Yeah, I mean, and he's now just, you know, he's about to enter his prime. He's 26 years old, and now he's coming off consecutive uh, knockout victories against two solid fighters in Juan Pablo oh, Romero and, and Juan Jose Velasco. And it's been a four and he months. Was an underdog. He was an underdog in the fight before this one, and he was incredible, looked incredibly impressive in that fight. And in this fight, he looked even better. I'm hoping that um, he continues to improve. And he's a tough out for anybody in that division. Yeah, yeah, I I really am excited uh to see what uh, what they got in store for Elvis Rodriguez. He can still he can still amount to something. He could very much still be a player down the road if he keeps this up. Yes, he yes yes he's he's he'll be a live dog against anybody because already he's proven. Um, yeah, he spit the bed in his last fight at top rank, but he's hungry. And nothing is harder to beat than a talented fighter who's hungry. Right. And uh, before we kind of end the recap portion of things, I do want to sort of give a farewell to the end of the best ever, Juanhen Menayoten, the, the Thai fighter who started his career with a 54-0 record uh, about, yep. I want to say, 15 hours prior to recording, we uh, he lost again to. Yep. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. You, could, you, uh, you, could, you could pronounce it better than me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's hear it. <laughs> uh, he lost his. Uh, uh, he lost to Panya Pradabzri. Uh, I'm pretty sure I butchered that. Uh, for the WBC minimum weight title, 117-111 across the board. Manoyet then lost to him the first time around in 2020, yep. ending that amazing 54-fight win streak. And an era is over, Robert. The true oh, greatest to, of that's all another, time and, is over. And, and TBE needs to retire also. Uh, we're seeing the end of a lot of eras. Gamboa's era ended three years ago. Uh, we need a TBE right now to retire, just like we need Lenaris to retire. There's a lot of fighters out there that uh, Burchelt. We need to see these fighters stop fighting. Yeah, he's done. He's had an incredible career. I don't know if he gets into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Oh no, he won't. but he will not. But he's had a tremendous career. You could make an argument: top five die fighter, or maybe five, six. He's had a tremendous career, but. All careers must come to an end. He needs to. He needs to end it now. You remember when Juan Minute then got signed by Golden Boy Promotions? He had his. You, I re- you brought that up. You brought that up on his Twitter U.S. debut pan- was announced, and yep. only for that whole card to get yep. called off because of COVID, and then and nothing you- happened afterwards. It's almost like, it's almost like the the Golden Boy signing never happened. It's like it was a figment of our imagination. <laughs> it felt like one bad fever dream, which, I mean, let's be honest, what has the last two years been if not that? Yes, you're right. Uh, all right, so it looks like we're finally getting a George Campbell's Devin Haney fight. It finally looks like it. Very possible. Uh, according to reports, that's the, that's the only fight that could be made. What, um, is it true t- that he's signing a multi, multi-fight deal with top rank? That seems to be the what the reports are saying. Cambosos and Haney, 
finally fighting for the undisputed lightweight title. Australia, potentially, a, you know, a two-fight deal if Haney wins. The rematch will again, will, according to reports, will also take place in Australia. And it looks like ESPN is going to uh, handle the broadcast duties. The zone. I'm gonna make a prediction right now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make a prediction right now. Uh, Haney's next four fights. This is my prediction. Okay. Haney beats Cambosis two times in a row because he's going to have to, right? Because there's a rematch clause. Uh-huh. Both fights have to be in Australia. He's going to beat Cambosos two times in a row. Then he's going to beat Lomachenko, who will be a year to 18 months older and possibly not fighting other than defending his country in the Ukraine. So he will be long in the tooth and inactive. Uh, a younger, sharper Haney should be able to outpoint him over 12 rounds. And finally, a super fight against Shakur Stevenson, uh, 2024, for the undisputed lightweight championship of the world. You heard it here first. He beats Cambosis twice. He beats Lomachenko. And then he fights Shakur Stevenson. Main event, I don't know where you could put that fight. You could put that fight in Atlanta. Yeah, you could put that fight in Atlanta. Main event, pay-per-view, undisputed fight for top ranks. His top rank will have the rights to both fighters. What do you think about that? What do you think about that prediction? I mean, if it actually does happen, my goodness. I mean, that'd be a hell of a run for Devin Haney. Hey, if he wins all four fights, he's in the Hall of Fame right there and there. (laughs) And you know what? And and I I hope that... People finally start to come around and give Devin Haney the proper respect. Let's be honest. His his run as the WBC lightweight champion, it's been filled with a lot of bizarre storylines. There's a little bit of controversy. And and as a result, a lot of people have kind of started, you know, disrespecting Devin Haney, for lack of a better well, word. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, Eddie Hearn dropped the ball with Devin Haney. He, he the, had a special talent. The, uh, uh, the, the, top, uh, the common theme in the last few weeks. He, he dropped the ball with Devin Haney. He dropped the ball with a very special, talented fighter. Um, didn't, get, get, didn't get him the money he should have gotten. Didn't get the fight. He didn't even get him this fight with Cambosis. No. Which... No, so which and listen, if the zone wasn't that interested in the, according to Eddie, the zone the zone wasn't really that into Haney versus Cambosos. Then look, the zone at this point, the zone and Eddie Hearn, as far as the, the U.S. is concerned, they've got no space to be picky. If you got the nope. opportunity to make nope. that fight happen on your platform, then do it. But it looks like they've. It's been a lot of fights that could have had the zone involvement have been like so mismanaged. I mean the the you know, the Charlo Bungia fight. Uh, they you know that didn't happen because Oscar De La Hoya kind of butted in too much and kept insisting mm. the zone be involved in it, which is why the fight never happened because you know the the zone has to be involved and no they didn't they did not have to get involved. They could have been involved in a rematch if Munguia won, but I don't. But man, the zone just keeps losing out on, you know, potentially interesting fights. Yeah, they're not Canelo type of movers, but, you know, you can't just be solely focused on the Canelo type of big events because that's not going to work out in the end. 
Well, they're going to have Joshua Usyk. Right? I mean, they are, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I I think this. I think the zone missed the boat. The zone editing here missed the boat big time on not getting this far. Hey, um, they mismanaged Haney's career and they mismanaged Demetrius Andrade Andrade's career. So I don't know. Um, that, that and those are two special talents who's. Well, at least Haney's still young enough to go on an incredible run. Andrade might be past his prime now. Fight, and he's f- faced his prime on his own fighting stiff after stiff after stiff after stiff. And he's fighting another stiff in his next fight. <laughs> he's not even fighting on a, he's not even fighting, and that's, he's not even on a card promoted by Eddie Hearn. And I can tell you this, I can tell you this much. Matchroom is not losing any sleep for not getting uh for not getting Andrade versus Zach Park. I can tell you this much. They are not losing <sighs> any sleep. So they at this point, it's I then this is my own interpretation of things. They do not care if Andrade walks is gone from Matchroom. Mm-hmm. And I think Matchroom is now realizing we did nothing. So if he walks away, well, it's not like we. It's not like uh, Andrade is leaving the is leaving Matchroom as a hot name. No, no, because he, he he's getting long in the tooth. It's sad what happened with his career. It, it they they mismanaged his career. And kudos to Haney if the reports are true for getting that two fight deal with Cambosos. And right now at one thirty five, if he beats Cambosos two times in a row. He's calling the shots because he could fight Javante in a blockbuster fight. He could fight Loma in a blockbuster fight. He could fight Shakur Stevenson in a blockbuster fight. Haney wins those two fights against Cambosos. He's one of the top five hottest fighters in the world, considering how deep the 135. Hell, he could fight Ryan Garcia in a top rank uh, Golden Boy mega promotion. He he have the keys to the castle. Uh, quick question, Carlos. Tio uh-huh. Lopez. He's he's injured for several months now. Is that is that the word? Yeah. So he had surgery on his. I can't remember if it was right hand or right wrist, but it was you know. But he had surgery. He's already and he he's already had the surgery. And it was a uh, successful surgery. He's he's on video and he's already with the cast and everything. So mm-hmm. uh, he's already had the surgery. The plan is for him to go in June. There's an interesting development going on involving Teofimo Lopez and the 140-pound division because, as we've been discussing in the last couple of weeks, Teofimo right. Lopez was ranked ahead of Jack Adderall and Jose Ramirez in the latest WBO rankings that came out. A and, Re- and Regis Progress. He was rated ahead of Regis Progress also. Yes, and we both thought that was dumb. And it looks and it looks like Jose Ramirez and Jack Catterall agree with us because they sent out a correspondence to the WBO separately. But good coincidence, good. They all this all happened in the span of twenty four hours. They have a problem with their rankings. Catterall is number three. He is not happy with the fact that Lopez, who has never fought, who hasn't fought a significant fight at one forty, is ranked ahead of him. He's never fought at 140. He, well, he's technically only fought. He did fight once at a fight where he came in like 139 and something, and his opponent was 140. So I count that as fighting at 140 pounds. You can't okay. convince me that's a lightweight. But that was in 2018, and that was when you know before he became a real significant yeah. name. 
So, gotcha. uh, so that's why I say he hasn't fought a significant fight at 140 pounds. And he's going to be out for a few months. The plan is to have him back in June. But they have Cadrill has a problem with a guy who's coming off of a lightweight title uh, loss. Uh, candidly, he lost handedly to Vasily, uh, I mean, to Cambosos, I should say. And that was a problem that despite not fighting at 140 pounds uh, in, in a significant way, he's ranked ahead of Catterall when Catterall lost a fight that you can and very well successfully argue Catterall should have won with... Let me tell you something. He got robbed because he knocked him down and they took a point away from... um. Uh, a Josh Taylor, and he dominated the fight. Yes, and he should have stayed at number one. He should have stayed at number one. I agree. And and the thing is, they have a problem with that because it was so mired in so much controversy that the BBB of C, the British Boxing Board of Control, they you know they ultimately disciplined officials uh, for after in the aftermath of that fight. And for Catterall to be dropped from one to three, I think it's criminal. Now, in the yep. sense of Jose Ramirez, he has an issue with Catterall and Lopez, mainly Lopez, with the fact that both of them are ranked ahead of Ramirez with, you know, even though they're both coming off of losses and we do not know how they're going to look in their first fight after their lo- after their first pro loss, which is a, a fair point. It's a fair point. We don't, you know, they could learn from the experience and become greater fighters, or they could not, they can't put the loss behind them, and they will never be as good as they once were at their peak. Very fair points. But in the sense of Ramirez, Ramirez has been a guy who, been a WBO champion, has already bounced back, from that loss to Josh Taylor with a very impressive win against Jose Pedraza, who was highly ranked in the WBO rankings at at the time of their fight. And Ramirez has has a stronger resume at 140 than both Cadrell and Lopez combined. 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 Ramirez, to be honest with you, if the rating, uh, if the rating system was fair... Ramirez and Prograis would be one and two across the board on all four sanctioned bodies. I don't see any other uh, junior lightweight contenders that deserve the one or two spot more more so than Jose Ramirez and Regis Prograis, both former world champions, both barely lost their titles, and both have come back strong since losing their only fights. Now, here's the interesting thing as to... Uh... Into why Ramirez, when he's already number two at the WBC, would try and see, would try and go. To, it, it, to me, it looks like one of two things: either Ramirez doesn't want the W, wants, does not want to fight for a WBC title if it gets vacant. He wants to fight for a WBO title if it gets vacant, uh-huh. or he wants to keep his options open. Because here's the thing: Ramirez. If he goes for the WBC, if the title were vacated today, he'd be fighting Jose. He'd be ordered to fight Jose Cepeda. And if he were to go the WBO route, and if he goes to get, like, number two, then he'd be fighting Liam Paro, uh, which is number one. Now, there are pros and cons to both sides. Obviously, with Cepeda, it's a bigger fight. It's an easier fight to make. Uh, Paro, you can argue on paper, it's an easier fight to win, and remember, Cepeda gave Ramirez hell, and I thought beat Ramirez in their 
previous ex- uh, encounter. Yes. Um, and, you know, maybe Ramirez doesn't want to deal, doesn't necessarily want to deal. Or if that, or at the very least, if they, if he has to fight Cepeda again, then let him win the WBC and let, and Ramirez go win the WBO title. And you can make that a unification, make that fight even bigger than what it could potentially be. Now, there's another way this could go. You could potentially maybe order a four-man tournament to fight uh, for the vacant WBO title. That's always a possibility. And if Ramirez is so hell-bent on getting the WBO title and trying to get ranked there, and he abandons the WBC route, guess who finally moves in to potentially we just Yes? We just... Regis Prograce would fight uh, for the WBC uh, vacant title against Jose Spada, right? Yes, because he would be. He won a title eliminator against Tyra McKenna. He's number three right now. Yep. So it would work out for Regis. He fi- he'd be. He'd Let me fi- tell you something. I hope we get to see, before either guy moves up to 147, a 140-pound title fight, whether it's unification for one of the vacant titles Prograde versus Ramirez, because that would be an incredible war. Yeah, that, I mean, that'd be great. There's a lot of ways this can go. There, We have, we're going to find out, on, or at the very least, all parties, Lopez, Ramirez, and Catterall, have until end of business day in Puerto Rico on Friday to sort of argue why they should be ranked ahead of the other two. And you can, to me, the only one that that does not have any argument is Lopez. That's the easy. He has only no one. argument at all. He has no business being ranked in anybody's top ten at 140 pounds. He period. Yeah, he hasn't fought there. So now Ramirez has the stronger resume at 140, but Cadrell, in all fairness. He shouldn't be asking for uh, asking to be ranked at the top. He should be. If, if he should be fair, champion he right should now. Be the un, he should be the undisputed uh, junior welterweight champion of the world. Period. So that depends on what you're looking for. If you're thinking, if you're looking for the best fighter or best resume, it's Ramirez. But if you're gonna look out for what's the what's more fair, then you can argue it's Catrol. Yep. There's a lot of ways this can go. This really certainly put a monkey wrench into all of this. Again, this really mainly affects the WBO, and depending on what happens with Jose Ramirez, could also affect the WBC slightly. Again, WBA and IBF, they're safe because they've already got mandatory challengers uh, set, so yep. they already have sort of in out there. Before we kind of go into the ending, if I am reading this correctly... This is from Amazon Prime Video Japan, which very recently uh, got pretty much got a deal going uh, to showcase and air fights from Japan. If I am reading this correctly, we got an Inoue Donaire rematch set. June 7th. It is, and this is from their official account. It looks like the rematch is finally official. June 7 in Japan, Naoya Inoue versus Nito Donaire, the two best bandwidths in the world right now, are finally going to have their rematch from what I still think is one of the greatest bandwidth title fights in history. 
I have it as my greatest bantamweight fight that's ever fought, that's ever been fought. Uh, the greatest bantamweight fight in the history of boxing. Um, they are the two best bantamweights in the world. Two first ballot Hall of Famers. If they both retire today, they'd go straight into the Hall of Fame as soon as they're eligible. Uh, in my opinion, the greatest Japanese fighter of all time against, you can make an argument for anywhere from number two to number five greatest Filipino fighter mm -hmm. of all time. And, it, you know, Inyo is Man. on the verge of becoming the greatest Japanese fighter in history. And he, already, he already is. The guy that, that uh, fighting Harada, who was considered the greatest Japanese fighter of all time, has already said that Inoue. Yeah, he he basically passed on the torch to Inoue after yeah. that after that first fight, which after I thought was first, such so, a phenomenal uh, image that rarely gets talked about. They they don't talk about it at all. That was the official passing of the torch. Uh, man, I Carlos from April 9th through what the end of June, we have great boxing week in and week out. Yeah, and and again, uh, obviously, I think we need to sort of wait a more official confirmation from top rank Who's, and pro bellum. Right, but right. In this instance, Amazon Prime in Japan would be the Japanese broadcaster for Yeah, but they, they've been negotiating this fight for a while. So they have been. They like, have been. Yeah, so it sounds like this is, you know, the this is the coup de grace. It's, it's happening. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, it, it's not. It's it kind of an open secret that they've that this fight has been sort of in the works. So we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll see. We'll get a, You know, if we can get an official confirmation uh, from the actual promoters, that'd be great. I don't think they're going to uh, announce something past midnight Eastern from either side. Pro Bellum probably in like the crack of dawn right now. Las Vegas, it's you know past nine o'clock. So why wait until what you know? Why do it now? So man, this is man, that's great. That's great. I'm yep. so excited. They, I'm glad that Inoue is finally getting the rematch and finally getting a big fight because pandemic has been a part of it, but at the same time, Inoue's career since that first fight has been. Virtually non-existent. Well, he's cleaned out the bantamweight division. Other than the rematch against Inoue, there's nobody at 118 that can fuck with him. Yeah, but and at he's the time, yeah, but at the time, he's got to move up to 122 as soon as this fight's over. Yeah, but let's not forget, you know, we were gonna get a John Real Casimiro unification fight, but but then the pandemic kind of ended it. Yeah, and uh, Casimiro, who hasn't been the same since not lose, not getting that fight, uh. He would have got obliterated, but he would have gotten a nice payday for that obliteration. <laughs> yeah, so. Again, going to have to wait, but very, very promising. And I'm so excited. I This is definitely one of those fights. Much like the uh, April 9th fight between Gennady Golovkin and Ryota Murata, it is so very much worth staying up all night or at the very least going to bed like extremely early and waking up. Now, you said early. that was... You said that was June seventh, right? Uh June. So, uh, yes, June seventh. That's a Tuesday morning. So, uh, you guys, once it's official, it's a Tuesday morning in the United States. Yeah, and for those Early of you morning, who are wondering, like Tuesday morning, morning a, a major boxing show on a Tuesday morning in Japan, that's actually not a super rare uh, occurrence having well, weekdays. Uh, the first fight was either a Wednesday or Thursday morning, right? 
The oh. first fight was during a week. During the week, the first fight was during the week. It wasn't on the weekend. Um, it, look up real quick, Box Rex. See I what day look, it was. It was during the week. I'm looking at it. Was it wasn't a weekend fight? It was because I was at work when that fight happened. It was November 7, 2019. That was a Thursday. Thursday morning. I knew it was either Wednesday or Thursday morning. So there you go. Uh, it it it's not it it it. It's a regular occurrence in Japan, Thailand, and Korea to have fights during the week. We just like had we United just had the, the greatest of all time fight uh, fight on a Tuesday fight, morning. <laughs> yeah, on Tuesday morning to reclaim his world title unsuccessfully. Ooh. Unsuccessfully. So it's 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 a common it's a common occurrence in in Asia for fights yeah. to happen during the week. And so this fight, you know, you guys, if you want to, shit. Japan, Japan has uh, shows at Corican Hall on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays on the regular. That's right. There, there you go. It, it'll be worth taking a day off from work or uh, catch, getting up early, watch the fight, then go to work because the fight will be over by 7, 7.30. If you're working at 9 o'clock Eastern time, you get to work in time. <laughs> Pretty much that. All right, Robert. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to discuss before that, we end? That's it. That's it. Let's get out of here. Yeah. And again, before we officially end this, I do want to really point out, you know, we got some boxing, not a whole lot, but obviously Saturday we got Savannah Marshall uh, defending her WBO middleweight title against FMK uh, Hermans. Uh, when, if Savannah wins, then we pretty much got the fight against that's Clarissa the, Shield. The, which, which would be one of the two biggest women fights of the year, maybe three. If you have Alicia Baumgartner get her unification fight, you have Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor and 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 Savannah versus Clarissa. Carlos, this might be the biggest year in the history of female boxing. Could very well be. And on Sat and all and on Friday, we got Jose Felix and Sandor Martin and Martin's first fight since the win against Mikey Garcia last fall. So there's some Friday afternoon boxing from Spain if you're if you're open to watching that. All right, Robert, where can the good people read your work and find you on Twitter? On Twitter, Robert Silva five seven six eight. I want to thank all my followers and people that I've never talked to before, giving their condolences about the recent passing of my um, young son. I appreciate each and every one of you. I want to thank each and every one of you. Uh, as far as my articles go, Fight Game Media uh, Network dot com is the parent company of our website. I mean, is the parent website of the uh, of this podcast. And um, you want to shout out, uh, make a quick plug about the WrestleMania um shows that are on this week. Absolutely. Now. We have quite the amount of coverage regarding WrestleMania here on the Fight Game Media Network, both on the on the free side of things on the on the network and on Patreon. On the Patreon side, we already have a a Q and A with Dave Meltzer between Gary Gonzalez and Dave uh, regarding that, that, a lot of topics. By the way, in WrestleMania. that's a must listen to. It I, breaks down. It even breaks down the possibility and what uh, uh, the possibility and the roadblocks to a Roman Reigns, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, WrestleMania match next year. Yeah, and you know, obviously, and you got a lot of different shows. Brace for Impact talking about the you know multiverses matches recap, and 
talking about R and the boom with RH Supercard of Honor previewing and power bomb shells doing a live stream. We have a lot of stuff on the uh, on and, the Fight Game Media Network on Patreon and, on YouTube. Take it home doing a nice little throwback to WrestleMania Five. A lot of stuff. Hey, my favorite show on the feed. Write it down. Is it write this down? Write this down with Fumi Saito and Justin Nipper. The single best podcast or radio show, whatever you want to call it, on the history of Japanese wrestling. They have done shows on Stan Hansen, uh, uh, Antonio Noki, and recently they just finished a four-part series on the legendary late great giant Baba. Uh, and in the future, look out, I think around June, we will be teaming up with Justin and Fumi, Carlos and I, to talk about the historic June 1976 fight between Antonio Noki and Muhammad Ali. So uh, look forward to that. Um, also on FightGameMedia.com, my continuing series on the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years. Coming up this week, my number 17 fighter will be published, Bernard B. Hop, the execution of Hopkins. And probably next week, I'm almost finished with the article, my number 16 James Lights Out Tony. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Carl's Toro Media. And that'll do it for this episode of the Pound for Pound podcast. He's Robert Silva. I'm Carl's Toro. We'll see you all next week for another episode of Pound for Pound here on the Fight Game Media Network. Hope you enjoyed this week's fights and enjoy WrestleMania and all the big wrestling events that are going on this week. We'll see you next week. Have a good one, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>